0: Hello and welcome. Greetings from the Offensive Security Group here at SecureIT 360, uh, coming at you with a new episode of the Cyber Threat Perspective. Uh, it is Friday and it is time for a week in review. Uh, each week, Offensive Security Team here at SecureIT 360 is tracking, researching and analyzing threats, vulnerabilities, etc. Uh, with the purpose of keeping you up to date on what's relevant and important. Uh, that you know, in the events that have occurred this week, so you can uh, basically just be a little bit more prepared than you were yesterday. That's kind of our hope. Uh, you know, you got me here, Brad, and also Spencer from the offensive security team. What's up, everybody? And yeah, so so this week has been a little slower than some of the other weeks. Uh, we've got four interesting things to talk about. Uh, we are going to talk about a specific uh, DFIR report that that is unique in that it's kind of missing some of the key elements that we normally see. Right. And so we're going to talk a little bit about trends related to that. Uh, We'll also talk a little bit more about the dog walk zero day and and how it's being used. And kind of along that same vein, we're going to talk about Folina and and an exploit in the wild and how that works. And then uh, also some ransomware that's specifically targeting ESXi servers. Not that that's new, but um, it's definitely a topic that we want to talk about. So so do you want to get us started, Spencer, with the... uh, with the first one, yeah.
1: Yeah, excited for uh, another week in review. Heck yeah. Uh, the Dfer report. So that's the first item on our list here. I always really enjoy reading the defer report. Uh, uh, it's it's really good information. They have really good analysts working uh, on these articles. Mm-hmm. And they provide a lot of actionable intelligence. They provide TTPs, TTPs. Um, they provide a lot of good information for an analyst or just somebody in the security industry. Who's trying to get a sense of, of what happens in a real intrusion, right? Uh, what are real bad actors doing when they get on a network? What are the th- tools that they are using? What are the techniques that they are using? Um, so really good information. It's, it's right from the front lines, right? So yeah. Really good stuff. In yep. this particular case, uh, it was a multi-day intrusion and it's, started off uh, by exploiting a vulnerability in Manage Engine Support Center Plus. Uh, that was the, the method for initial access. A web shell was dropped at that point. Uh, the threat actor was then, uh, kind of just sit and waited. He, they enabled WDigest uh, on, on the server that they gained access to, and they just sat and waited. They just sat and waited. Uh, the article says they waited for about seven days uh, at which time they were able to capture administrator credentials. They used those to move laterally. They exfiltrated uh, sensitive company documents, both via uh, RDP and via the web, their web shell. And uh, that was it. You know, they they got caught because of a honey token uh, mm-hmm. uh, that they opened kind of shortly after, I guess, exploiting those documents. They opened up some of those documents and then the canary tokens fired uh and they were uh, supposedly evicted soon after that from the environment. Sure. Uh the interesting part like you you mentioned at the top of uh this episode is that there was no ransomware. There was no cobalt strike. Uh the method of access was through their web shell and they used RDP, they used Plink to move laterally. They enabled WDigest uh, to to steal credentials from memory and that was it. I mean, they stole yeah. sensitive, sensitive documents and, you know, we don't know the rest of the story, right? This is kind of where this this article like leaves off.
0: Sure. So, yeah, a couple of things that really stood out to me on this. The the first of which is that they were patient, right? You know, I think a lot of people make the the maybe false assumption that you know the breach happens and then everything moves really quickly after that. You know, these guys periodically were logging into this compromised system through the web show and just kind of checking like, hey, who's logged in? right? What sessions exist, but, but, you know, of course they had the foresight to go ahead and enable W digest, which means, you know, we can dump plain text creds. And, and so, you know, for me, that's kind of a first red flag, right? Like my, my server just had a configuration change. Right. So, so that, that kind of goes back to blocking and tackling and stuff, but but it it is fascinating to me that they sat there and patiently waited, and then literally within I think a couple hours or maybe a day of admin credentials showing up in a session, they dumped them and whoosh, everything just kind of hit you know you know mocked in, and so it's fascinating to see. You know the thought process because these guys are really smart. These these are not a bunch of kids right in their mom's basement. These these are well seasoned hackers who were patient and paying very close attention to what was going on. Um, and then of course the honey token. Like, look, man, five years ago I used to think that honeypots and internal honeypots and stuff like that were kind of like, yeah, okay, they're a novelty. These days, I mean, you and I've been busted on internal pen tests before. Mm-hmm. By honeypots, right, yep. and, and 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 so like I'm very rapidly becoming a massive fan of setting traps throughout your environment. So
1: yeah, both both in documents, mm-hmm. uh, honey accounts, right, sensitive uh, accounts that look sensitive, right, or juicy targets, um, yeah. services. You can stand up uh, honeypots, like you said, with with services listening on them, or yeah. l- they look like they're listening on them. Uh, there's a lot of really cool tech you can do with canary tokens, honey tokens now that, yeah, it's, it's a great, uh, it's a great warning system and mm-hmm. it's fairly low false positive. I agree. You know, in, in this instance, it wasn't until the tractor exfiltrated documents that it was triggered, but in so many cases, you know, we're on pentest or an attackers in an environment, they're poking around at things. They're undoubtedly going to trip on something and that's yes. going to be a very low false positive and a good, very good early
0: warning sign. Yeah, I agree 100%, man. It's good stuff. Yep. Yeah.
1: Uh the next one is uh something that I guess has been talked about in nauseam the last, you know, week or so.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, and we're going to keep hearing about it, too, man. It's just how it is.
1: It, we will. We will. Uh it has to do with the Microsoft support diagnostic tool and uh a 2 plus year old zero day mm-hmm. that kind of uses uh uh uses the sport diagnostic tool ultimately, but it piggybacks off of these DiagCab files, mm-hmm. these diagnostic uh files. And essentially this is uh it was jokingly dubbed dog walk by you know some security researchers and I think the I think the meme thing to do now is to find a vulnerability and give it some funny name. Right um it in the end though it seems like it kind of has a sidebar. It seems like that helps the publicity in a way, right? It helps it, does. it it get picked up by news media more and spread more rapidly if it's got a funny name to it. Because it's like, what is this thing that everybody's talking about? Why does it have a funny name? Yeah. As opposed to CVE, whatever, whatever.
0: Agreed. Agreed.
1: Um, but this one, uh, this dog walk uh, vulnerability with these Diacab files, essentially allows for path traversal. And essentially what that means is this specific technique uh, exploits these DiagCab files and it allows the attacker to plant a malicious file in the user's startup folder, for example. So the next time the user reboots, that that malicious executable, that malware is executed and now mm-hmm. I have persistence uh, on that machine uh, through one click or po- potentially two clicks uh, if protected views on and like Edge or something. Right. Um, so again, this is an adaptation of the, the support diagnostic tool which ultimately needs to be fixed. We all we all realize that. But sure. kind of an adaptation on what we saw with Felina with Word documents and, and RTFs and things like that.
0: Right. Yeah, for sure, man. And and so the one, um, you know, the, the workflow still requires a decent amount of user interaction in this case, right? To get to that point, which is hopefully going to save us a little bit. Yeah, so. there's
1: there's some interesting things from a mitigation standpoint uh you can so what what's interesting to me with this too is that uh these Diacab files have mark of the web mark of the web is something that you know is supposed to protect us from some of these internet born email born attacks right unfortunately mark of the web uh, relies on the application that is doing the work to uh to to do something about mark the web to say hey this file is suspicious it comes from the internet or whatever Unfortunately, right. not every application checks Mark of the Web. Yes. For example, the creators of 7-Zip have said they're not going to support Mark of the Web at all. Uh, it's a performance thing. Uh, mm-hmm. There's other applications that don't support Mark of the Web or don't check for Mark of the Web. And unfortunately, Microsoft Support Diagnostic Tool, ta-da, does is not, one of those. It's <laughs> one of those that it doesn't check and warn the user. So what yeah. you can do is you can tell Windows, you can configure Windows via the registry to warn when there's a Diacab file that's that's been opened. Uh, so that's a good idea. Um, you can do that with other file formats as well, but um, kind of a, a relatively novel approach at putting another
0: uh, warning or another red flag in front of the user before sure. something bad happens. Right, so, so would I be remiss in saying something along the lines of if you haven't disabled the diagnostic tool in your environment via a GPO yet, You're, you're living, you're living on borrowed time. Yeah. Is that, is that a fair statement? Okay. Cause that's my takeaway is we've been talking about this thing for two or three weeks now and the end result's always the same, right? Which is, there's a lot of work that has to be done by Microsoft to make this right. We don't even know if that's going to happen, but in the meantime, we're, we're, and and I'm becoming more convinced every day that there's no legitimate reason to have the MSDT turned on. Yeah. Cause I, I haven't heard of any, any problems it's created. Right.
1: Yeah, I think I think Microsoft has has been hesitant to release uh, details about uh, deploying or, or restricting the diagnostic diagnostic tool with GPL because they don't want it to break troubleshooting things for users. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some ways, they've kind of botched their guidance and advisory around this. Um, but essentially, yeah. You know, we'll we'll hear in in one of the next stories that attackers are using this, right? This is a oh, thing. Yeah. They're, they have been using this already before this, and they're going mm-hmm. to continue using this. I guess the one saving grace, and we'll hear about this in, in one of the later articles, is that threat actors apparently are having trouble exploiting this to some extent. There are some sure. examples where uh, we've seen like QuackBot, which is the story we'll talk about in a few minutes, trying to use the Folina diagnostic tool vulnerability, right. To get initial access. Right. It, it's not working. And, um, you know, it's yeah, in I instances. can't
0: imagine. Like I said, I mean, it, there's, ju- it's just a complex workflow by comparison to other initial access methods. You know, yep. many of which are still valid today. Yep. This just seems like the lesser good choice. Yep. If I can and, mess yeah, that up.
1: <laughs> and, and spoiler alert, you know, in the story that we'll talk about with Quackpot um, is they're going back to using LNK files and DLLs, right? Tried and true LNKs and DLLs. Um, Yes. So.
0: That's pretty cool. Yeah.
1: Cool. Um, So the next one, uh, before we get to that QuackBot story, is Linux malware and specifically ransomware. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, the Uptix threat research team released a good article about this, a good uh, discussion. Uh, dissection of this, I guess, if you will, mm-hmm. of a uh, new ransomware gang, Black Basta, deploying ransomware to ESXi servers. Uh, now this, like like you said, Brad, earlier, this is not something that's relatively new. There are other groups like Lockbit, Black Matter, revel or Revel, however you uh, choose to, to name them. Uh, there are examples of other groups using this, but mm-hmm. it's just another, uh, another confirmation that this is a prime target for attackers they do want to go after your ES- esxi hosts um, and there's some good mitigations that you can do to, to protect those but they sure. are a target and you know we have to treat those uh, as you know tier zero assets in our environments yes
0: you know we should do a deep dive on that at some point and just just have a, a dedicated podcast yeah. talking about that because it's that important especially in you know uh, small medium business environments right because everything you have is in this environment. It's probably why they're going after it, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and with the companies that, you know, haven't moved to the cloud or um, have tradi- traditionally been on-prem environments, mm-hmm. you know, they, they're going to have fairly large, you know, ESXi environments or Hyper-V environments and um, attackers know that, attackers are gonna go yeah. after that. Um, and this is a case of, of one gang uh, producing malware specifically for ESI, ESXi hosts. So uh, in the Uptix upticks article, it, they mentioned that this looks to be designed specifically for ESXi uh, hosts as opposed to other variants of uh, right. Linux or Windows or something like that.
0: Right. So, so it's, it's not even using this as a target. It is the target.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And, and that's a little unique, right? I don't know that I've heard of a lot of malware gangs going specifically for ESXi. I, it's, it's usually been a collateral damage or, hey, I accidentally found that I had access to this thing. And therefore, uh, or, or you know, in some cases we see once, once they successfully compromise the majority of Active Directory, they'll pivot to yeah. that and, and try to, you know, pass those credentials to ESXi. Mm-hmm. But so so, question for you. On, well, go ahead. You were going to say something.
1: No, I was just going to say that that leads me into to one of the mitigation thoughts is a lot of times we'll see. ESXi vSphere specifically, right, vSphere server will be connected to Active Directory such that you can use your Active Directory account, right, to log in to vSphere. Mm -hmm. Um, And we see that on pen tests. And that's something that, you know, I will look for during a pen test is are we connected to vSphere? Can I log in with this admin account that I Kerberos did? Right.
0: Agreed. And and so that that actually per- plays perfectly into the question I was going to ask, and that is, does does this particular piece of information, this new you know ransomware gang, does um, th- does that change our recommendations at all for how to secure ESXI in the world that we live in?
1: I don't think it necessarily changes it, but I think it brings to light some important things to think about. Right. So mm-hmm. one of the the strategies you know we might recommend is disconnect the authentication from Active Directory. Right. If yeah. I'm a threat actor and I get access to the domain admin account. I shouldn't be able to log into the vSphere server and then just start encrypting everything. So right. actually disconnecting it from Active Directory authentication is a good idea. You know, have a separate account for that, um, for administrating or administering those services. Mm-hmm. Um, segment, segmentation, you know, always a good idea, not just for ESXi, but other critical servers
0: in, in subnets of your network um, is a good idea. Yeah, you know, keep that, it That's up-to-date. been... Well, that's one of the things I hate the most on an internal pen test is when they've done a really good job of segmenting their network off, mm-hmm. because it is really hard and takes a long time to effectively jump from subnet to subnet when segmentation is implemented correctly. And I mean, it's it's supposed to be hard, right? But yeah. but to that point, that that doesn't just mitigate you know ESXi ransomware. That mitigates a lot of stuff, you know, especially if you can be so fortunate as to have your Critical infrastructure, you know, very well segmented from your workstation population.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, having, it's, it goes back to what we've said, uh, what you've said a number of times uh, is the blocking and tackling, right? Keep yourself yeah. up to date, segment your network, um, you know, have good privileged access management mm-hmm. uh, controls, uh, have good backups, right? That yeah. are offline and kind of disconnected and you have them somewhere where Ransomware can't get them, or they can't be deleted. So
0: blocking and tackling, right? (laughs) Yeah, it it is. It is, and and it it amazes me, by the way, that you know, back back when I first started getting into security, like we're talking twenty years ago, right? Like there are people listening to this this podcast that weren't alive when I started doing security. So, um, but the point is, we were doing offline, off-prem backups. 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So it still blows my mind that ransomware has been success as successful as it has been. I don't know at what point we stopped doing the basics, but I feel like we are still 20 years later talking about the basics, you know, patch your stuff, monitor your stuff, isolate your stuff, back your stuff up, you know, just, just all that stuff. So it's
1: not to say that it's easy or trivial, right?
0: Oh no, not at all. But it's, it, it does get to a point where
1: it's, um, you know, uh, a, a broken record at some point, because yeah. it's like, it's we're saying the same things over and over again, and mm-hmm. it almost feels like it's getting harder and harder to do some of these things. It, it with, is. With new technology, moving to the cloud, we don't have control over the data as much. So it is, right. you know, it's not a trivial thing. It's getting harder. And one thing I'll say is, you know, a lot of people joke about, you know, physical tape backup right like lto4 lto5 whatever we're on now it's but it's like hey you get if you got that tape in your hand and you're confident you can recover from that tape that is good as gold
0: somebody's gonna have to beat me up to take this backup copy away from me (laughs) Right? yeah no and and you know what still to this day me personally i do offline backups once a week like i plug a a usb drive and then i remove it after my backup is done
1: yeah you know a lot of people do
0: so, I mean, it, it's it's absolutely critical. Yeah.
1: Cool. Well, this is the the, the fourth and last story for, for this episode. And like I said, it ties into the previous discussion we had mm-hmm. uh, about Folina and, and Dogwalk. Um, this is a story uh, or a series of stories, I guess, um, kind of news that a threat actor that Proofpoint has, has named as TA570 uh, mm-hmm. Is seen has been seen pushing QuackBot. And the interesting thing, like I said earlier, is that they attempted to use the Folina exploit with the Word document, the DOCX, um, to uh, as their method of initial access. And the Sansin article that is linked here is uh, the the researcher had trouble getting that to execute both in a lab <laughs> and in online sandboxes. So, like any dot run, had trouble getting that that's, uh, that, uh, exploit to, to fire. Um, it's unclear if it's the version of office or the problem with the payload or something like that, but it would appear yeah. that those threat actors, uh, are getting frustrated with that not working and have since just gone back to their tried and true method. Like I said, of Ellen yeah. and DLLs. So, uh, this Folina thing was big and it like created a whole lot of buzz, but I guess the good side is you know, detections are coming out, and apparently, mm-hmm. it's hard for for threat actors to be to exploit this fully,
0: which is good. Right. I agree, and and I think we talked briefly about that when when we first started talking about the Folina stuff, and and it's, yep. you know, it, it it is a boutique style mm. of of uh, of initial access, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, and I asked on Twitter yesterday or a couple of days ago, uh, asked some people, you know, what what would be the cause for this. This payload to not execute is it a problem or this vulnerability to to fully execute and is it the problem with the payload? It, maybe it's the payload size, maybe it's the Office version. Maybe Microsoft has hardened, you know, the latest release of yeah. Office 365. It could be any number of things. But the good news is it's not being abused as uh significantly as we thought, which sure. I, I think is, is good all around.
0: Yeah. Yeah, th- this just goes back to the, the you know the the old properties of Kiss, right? Keep it simple, and so you know there's so many moving parts to successfully deliver an exploit, and then do something with it that I can understand why this has been margin- yeah. marginally successful.
1: Yeah, and you know the good news is there's a relatively trivial fix for this: you deploy the group policy, don't allow yeah. the troubleshooting wizard to execute, um, and as far as we know right now, that's a, that's a fairly good workaround Mm -hmm. right until there's some permanent fix. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, not to, not to belabor the Folina (laughs) Microsoft's diagnostic tool issue, but uh, you know, it just, it will come back again. And it's one of those things that just reminds us that um, threat actors are going to try these new relatively novel uh, attacks. And if they don't work or for some reason, they're not having success, they'll go back to their tried and true methods, whatever those might be at the time.
0: Agreed. Agreed. And and, and I, I love, it's it's indicative of, of how difficult this thing is to make it work when, like you said, the, the analyst was having trouble getting it to fire. And when you look through the actual article and you read everything, it's like, this is a really long article to say it didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> so so I'm glad that, that the malware auth- the authors are wasting their time on it. You sure. Know, I, I want to do that more.
1: Yep. I like it.
0: Good deal. So, so yeah, it's a, you know, shorter than usual for us, which is, which is awesome. So, um, happy Friday, everybody have a wonderful weekend and, uh, we'll see you folks next week.
1: Thanks.